Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. So I was saying the blinding light is here, which makes it harder to see you. Now I can see you. You can see me, but I can't see you. I have been uh, involved with you since the beginning of the congregation a long time ago. I've watched uh, the growth, the changes, and I did want to say, wow, what a wonderful experience today because you have really developed a lot over the last few years since the last time I was here, and that was before COVID. I don't remember how long before COVID. How many remember the last time I was here? How many? Me? Nobody? Boy. I didn't make much of an impression. Oy vey. Was it five years ago? I don't know. Who was here five years ago? Who was here five years ago? Wow, so many new people. That's why. How about that? Well, I want to say a few things about what we're doing. I've been involved in the Messianic Jewish movement for over 50 years and um, started in Chicago in 1972. It seems like that was a long time ago. Some of you weren't born yet. But uh, it's been an amazing ride. It's been my calling to lead organizations of congregations and to be involved with that because we like to network them together. And now I'm giving my time and energy to Tikkun America and Tikkun Israel, but we live mostly in Israel now, eight months a year. And I travel for Tikkun America, which is a network of some 25 congregations. And my son is now the leader of that. So we transitioned that about two years ago. And that was kind of an amazing transition. He was kind of drafted into that because he was living in Israel for five years and didn't want to come. And the people that were on the team said, you've got to come and lead this. And they felt I was getting too old. No. But we felt it was right. You know, you get to a certain age, you've got to transition. And then we have a network of 10 uh, communities in Israel uh, that grew out of the ministry of my disciples, Asher and Trader and Eitan Shishkoff, and I really came to help them and to see that come together and to be stronger. But the big project right now that I'm involved in, yes, at my age, is the founding of a new uh, Bible college we want a Bible college of a bit of a different orientation than what exists, one that's very passionate about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and passionate about some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today. So we'd like you to connect to this and to know what's going on. So if you sign up, no obligation to give money. You know, we, you will be obligated to give money if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, Right? But you can have the newsletter without any obligation. And we'd like to send you our monthly newsletter, Restoration from Zion of Tikkun International. Tikkun Global, we call it now. Uh, the cards are in the back with the book table. And it's true, I wrote 20 books, and I didn't bring enough. If I had known how much your congregation had grown, I would have brought more. But I didn't. And of course, you don't do Shabbat selling. Neither did we when I was leading a congregation. Uh, so... We did it like you. People were on the honor system, and they give contributions. And it is a contribution because nobody is making money on these books. All of the money, 
All of the royalty I get from the publisher goes into the book publishing fund, and it doesn't help support me. Asher's books don't help support him. So any of the books out there are only for the sake of ministry and spreading the message. So you can feel okay in conscience to pick up a book and to um, give a contribution to the book ministry. The contributions that go in there is for the reproduction, purchase of, and distribution of books. A lot of my books are published by Letter Messianic Jewish Ministries, but also Destiny Image. So I have some good publishers, and then a couple are self-published by Tikkun. So please stop by, fill out a card, or you can sign up on the sign-up sheet and take the time to do that. It would be a real blessing to me. I was here at a convocation uh, this week in Dallas. That's how I was here, and I decided to extend because David had been saying to me for some time that he would really like me to come. And uh, so... uh, you know, we kept going back and forth on when could be the time. I'm not in the United States very much anymore. Um, but I saw there was a window here. I wasn't scheduled. And if I extended my trip for a few days, I could be with you. And I want to be here to give you some encouragement. You certainly encouraged me by the quality of your liturgy and worship music. It was a great encouragement. So, um, wow, have you ever developed your former cantor is with us in Israel with his daughter, so that's interesting. Anyway, I have a lot of books out there, but not enough of any of them, but you can order them online. Uh, almost all of them are on Amazon, electronic. You can get most of them on Kindle, not all. The rest that are not on are still going on if you want to download them, but we have some out there. What I'm going to be speaking about today is in this book, Israel, the Church in the Last Days, which was published in the late 1980s and revised in the 21st century. So it's adequately up to date, and I think you will uh, indeed benefit from it. I think you will appreciate it. And then we have what I'll be sharing more about in the adult class is this book, Passover, the Key that Unlocks the Book of Revelation, but not only that but I'll be sharing about the last of the last days and what it is going to mean like to be alive when the Lord returns. What are you going to go through to get there? And uh, the other thing I want to say about that is we are to prepare people if they might be the generation that will see that happen. We're always to be ready. And so we might be the generation that will see that happen. So I have that book, but many others. I have one on uh, the irrevocable calling, what it means to be called to as part of the Jewish people, why Jewish people have a distinct calling. It's called the irrevocable calling. That's in multiple languages. That's the most translated book now. And then uh, I have a book on heaven, hell, and the afterlife, what the Bible really says, Uh, a book on the destiny of what we're moving toward in terms of an order of mutual blessing. I have a book on church history and where that's going called uh, That They May Be One. I mean, there's just a lot of books, and we don't have time to go over every one, but browse the book table, pick up things that you're interested in, and I think you'll enjoy it. Can somebody take these books for me and this card? And you can see it goes back to the book table after. Oh, thank you so much. You don't have to do it now, but it's just I... Gives me a little more room up here. Got my water bottle, you know, so I'm really all set. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us.
I, we pray that you would encourage us. Father, we pray for more power and presence of your Holy Spirit. This is our daily prayer, our daily desire for new outpourings of your Holy Spirit and revival in us personally and in communities of Messianic Judaism and in the larger world of the church. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. So, I want to speak to you today about the grand vision of Messianic Judaism, the grand vision. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. And to remember that in being part of the Messianic Jewish community and in offering the gospel to people, this is the grand vision. This is what we want to see. It will come to pass, verse 2, in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's house will stand firm as the head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills so that all nations will flow to it. Then many peoples will go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob, and that he will teach us his ways and that we will walk in his paths. For the Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And I know you sing that every week. Ki mitzion Torah, uduvar Adonai, merushalayim. He will judge between the nations and decide for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of Adonai. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, we realize that this is going to come about through the work of the Mashiach. For in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, A shoot will come out of the stem of Jesse. A branch will bear fruit out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and insight. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of Adonai, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the poor of the land. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked, and righteousness will be the belt around his loins, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together. Then the lion will eat straw like the ox, the nursing child will play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child will put his hand into the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Adonai, as the waters cover the seas. I don't know how we missed it. But when I grew up, and I grew up as a believer, as a young teen, I came to the Lord. But the biblical plan, the biblical hope is the redemption of the whole world, not just a few being saved. Here it is. 
I've just shared it. It's not just about a few people who get saved and go to heaven. And Messianic Judaism plays a central role in the last days because it's not just about getting a few Jews saved so they can go to heaven. It's about bringing the world to the place where we'll see the return of the Lord and the redemption of the whole world and the Messianic Jewish movement plays a part in that. I um, read through the Bible with an eye to all of the texts that talk about the redemption of the whole world. And I have it listed in my devotional um, prayer journal. I wrote down over 50 texts that promised the redemption of the whole world. Yes, people are going to be lost. Yes, people will go to hell. Yes, there's going to be big judgments. But the end of the whole thing is this grand vision of Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 11 that the whole world will ultimately be converted in the end. And the nations will come to the knowledge of God. That's in psalm after psalm, in text after text. So the grand vision of Messianic Judaism is to play our role in the redemption of the whole world because the redemption of Israel leads to the redemption of the whole world. That's a pretty amazing thing to be involved in that. But as we just read in Isaiah chapter 11, the vision for the redemption of the whole world is not just grand and vast and big, the macrocosmic vision, but it's a vision that connects to every needy person through the gospel. Note that it says of Yeshua, with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the poor of the land. He will strike the land with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. We also read in Isaiah 61, repeated when Yeshua stood up in the temple of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to captives. Sight for the blind. And preaching the good news to the rich. No. Preaching the good news to who? The poor. Because Yeshua really cares about people in need. So you have this vast vision of the redemption of the whole world. But concern for every person in need of their pain and their suffering and their sorrow, and the two come together, the grand vision and the very specific vision of every needy human being. Isn't that amazing? You know, I was looking at Psalm 82 in my devotions recently, and uh, just notice here the same kind of idea of concern for every person. Verse 3 of Psalm 82 is, Give justice to the poor and fatherless, God says to the judges. Be just to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And then it talks about the judgment. All of the earth's foundations are shaken. But then in verse 8 it says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you 
possess, you will, it will possess, you will possess all the nations. That's that same world redemptive understanding. Now, I'm going to give a little review for those few of you that were here last time. And I, I, thought, I thought I would have a lot of people that were here last time. You've had a large congregational change, and I don't really know what happened. But it seems to be really good. I mean, being here feels good. Amen? Feels good. But what, the last time I was here, and I know uh, Rabbi David was very um, touched by this message, I talked about the five tasks or five pillars, but tasks of what we must do in the last days, that the last days was not mostly about getting all the details correct about what the book of Revelation means, which is a little hard, but we'll talk about it later in the adult class. But it was about understanding these tasks. So I want to review for you, and then I'm going to emphasize two of them. When Yeshua came to the world, there were people that were involved in seeking to move history toward this redemptive goal that you see in Scripture. Yes, I think they were more focused on Israel's deliverance under Roman oppression than they were on the redemption of the world, but I think they had that in mind too. And the most prominent group that was seeking to play a role in moving history to its climax in the coming of the Messiah were the Pharisees that were divided into two groups, the more rigid one, the Shamites, who were in control in the first century, and the ones that were in control after the fall of Jerusalem that were the less rigid ones, the the, uh, descendants of uh, uh, Hillel. And the Pharisees were asking a question And that was, is there anything that we can do to move history forward to the climax of the coming of the Messiah and the deliverance of Israel and the redemption of the world? Now, they were the most prominent group asking that question and trying to do something about it. The Essenes also were asking that question and trying to do something about it. And I'll mention that briefly. But I want to stick with the Pharisees because they were the most important group. And then the Zealots became very important. They also had a plan to bring the redemption of Israel and to bring the Messiah. I don't know how much they cared about the rest of the world, though. The Pharisaical idea was that if we get Israel to live, the Jewish people living in the land to live a really, really holy life that the Messiah will come, we will see his deliverance, and the earth will come under the rule of the Messiah. Israel and the nations will be ruled by the Messiah. Jerusalem becomes the capital of the nations of the whole world. Israel is the chief of the nations, all of the things that were promised by the prophets. So they said the key to this is holiness. Now, you can almost see some of this in Peter when Peter says, seeing that all these things will be, you know, that the earth will be burned up and the judgments will come, what kind of life should you leave? Leave. Living a holy life, he had in mind, but what kind of a life should you lead or live? Hastening the day of his coming. Something about living the right way. You see yourself playing a role in moving history to that coming. Yeah, it's taken almost 2,000 years. 2033 is coming. I think Yeshua actually died and rose again in the year 33. I think that's the best evidence. But 
You know, every effort that has extended the kingdom of God has moved history to the climax. But Peter's idea of what kind of life we should live and the Pharisaic idea of what kind of life we should live was a bit different. The Pharisaic idea was if we get all of the Jewish people, or at least a significant number of them, to live as if they're Kohanim, as if they're priests, then we'll be so holy that the Messiah will come and deliver us. And as part of being holy like that, they built a fence around the Torah and they multiplied laws. Sometimes, sometimes, not most of the time, but sometimes their addition was a good idea. But a lot of times it wasn't. And sometimes Yeshua said their addition actually contradicted the sense of the law and they made void the word of God by their tradition. But there was a very big focus (coughs) on purity laws. Laws of clean and unclean. Laws of avoiding corpse contamination. The hand washing the more exacting definition of harvesting because Yeshua did not think harvesting was represented by eating as you walk along in a field. And so they were trying to get everybody to live a more rigidly defined holy life and they thought that would produce the circumstances that would lead to the, second, to the coming of the Lord. What they were looking for is what we're looking in the second coming of the Lord. But then you had the Essenes who believed in a more rigid life and actually left uh, sometimes the community to create isolated communities that were very holy and did washings every day. And They also believed that they were going to be delivered with the coming of the Messiah. They wrote one of their texts was called the law, uh, you know, the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness, because the Messiah is going to come and he's going to help us have this war. And then you had uh, the zealots who believed that the primary way to see the Messiah come was to raise up a sufficient rebellion against Rome. And Yeshua warned against that. He said it was going to lead to the destruction of Jerusalem, not to the coming of the Messiah. It was going to lead to false messiahs. And you know what happened. The zealots got their rebellion and, Rome, and Jerusalem was destroyed. It's into the midst of these plans, what I call eschatological or last days um, projects, Yeshua comes into a world of Jewish people who are involved in eschatological projects. Now, um, the Sadducees were not involved in the eschatological projects because they didn't believe in the prophets that much and they didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in the resurrection and I don't think they believed in the coming of the Messiah either and so they were just maintaining the status quo. But these other three groups did and Yeshua comes... And when he made the announcement that the kingdom of God is here now, or the kingdom of God is at hand, it it sent ripples throughout the country because the coming of the kingdom of God was connected to the coming of the Messiah. And they were thinking that he's announcing that it's soon. He didn't say, I am the Messiah yet. That didn't come till the end. 
but he was announcing the messianic age, but then he was de- demonstrating that the kingdom of God was breaking into this age because the good news of the Messiah, the preaching of the gospel of the poor, was bringing deliverance from demons, healing of the blind, uh, he- he- uh, hearing for the deaf, cleansing of the lepers, and even raising the dead. And this was so astonishing that it was a demonstration that the kingdom of God had broken into this world and was here now. He sent out the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And basically we can understand the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that because he was here, he was giving an invitation to enter into the realm of reality that he brought to this world and to live in and from the presence of the kingdom of God. Yes, I know the kingdom of God will come literally at his second coming, but we live in and from that presence. And by the way, just to get ahead of ourselves, a congregation is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. So Yeshua does this work. He lives his life preaching the gospel of the kingdom, getting the 12 disciples and then the 70 to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom with signs and wonders and healings and manifestations that are extraordinary and teaches like nobody else ever taught. And he comes to the end of his life. He dies for our sin. He rises from the dead. He teaches the disciples that it's good that I go away because if I don't go away, I'm not going to be able to pour out the Holy Spirit on you and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit on you will be better than me being here. Remember that? All that teaching in John chapter 13 through 17. But then he gives us an eschatological or last days project. And he puts his project next to the project of the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And it's a different project, a more powerful project, a project that's more glorious and wonderful because of the presence and power of the Spirit. And this is what he says. And I'm going to review quickly the, the, um, <coughs> the four tasks that he gives his, his apostles, his disciples, the four tasks. And then um, I'm going to emphasize two of them. So keep in mind the four tasks. Matthew chapter 24, he says in verse 14, This good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the world or the whole world as a testimony to all of the nations and then the end will come. This idea of an adequate testimony to all the nations coming before the end of this age and his second coming has become very prominent today in the world missions movement. It wasn't always understood in in history that preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the nations is the key that will eventually eventually lead to his second coming. That until we have adequately, and what missiologists say, given an adequate witness of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, to every ethnic group, 
We are awaiting his coming. The 2033-2033 project is about accomplishing seeing that every people group that hasn't yet had an opportunity will have that opportunity by 2033, the 2,000-year anniversary of his death and resurrection. You can look that up on, on your computer. It's a big project. This, uh, this uh, text and other texts like, you know, Mark chapter 15, uh, 16, 15, Mark 16, 15, if you would turn there. Very important text, even though people say it might not have been in the original because it summarizes what the early body of believers believed because it's that early. This is what they believed. He says, verse 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to every creature. And he who believes and is immersed shall be saved, but who does not believe shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages or tongues. They will handle snakes, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And then in verse 20, they went out and proclaimed everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs that follow. That's never changed. That should be how we see it today. Now, oh, about 40 years ago, there was a man by the name of Ralph Winter at Fuller Theological Seminary who got a hold of this, and he started the Center for World Missions where they, and this really began this thrust of seeing the whole world uh, have an adequate witness to Yeshua leading to his second coming. It also has been taken on by the uh, World Evangelical Alliance today, 600 million people, 400 million of them charismatic Pentecostals see this now. This is incredible. This has never happened before in history. 600 million. And it also... Uh, was embraced by the Lausanne uh, uh, Project on Jewish Evangelism. All right. But the second is, and I want to come back to Romans, uh, because you can't, you can't see the success of uh, this world mission without what it says in Romans chapter 11. And I'm, I don't have time to go over Romans. I'm sure you've had preaching from Romans many times. But, he's, we, but Paul says here, um, in verse 13, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an emissary to the Gentiles or an apostle. I magnify or spotlight my ministry if somehow I may provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. Now, I want to emphasize to you that verse 14 is really crucial and in history was often ignored. Paul says, I magnify my ministry if I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. And then he says, that the some that are saved 
are the first fruits that make the rest of the Jewish people or the nation of Israel holy. We are the key to the nation being counted holy by our being there and still being part of our people. Verse 16 shows us that Messianic Jews do not leave their people to join another community called the Christian community, leaving Israel behind, which is what the history of the church required of Jewish people. No, we are the saved remnant of Israel. We are the first fruits that make the rest of the nation holy. But he then also says he wants to provoke to jealousy and save some of them because if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will be their acceptance but life from the dead? And life from the dead is the second coming of Yeshua and the redemption of the world. So what Paul was looking for is a growing Messianic Jewish community. The Romans 14, uh, 11.14 is connected to Romans 11.15. We've got to get more and more Jews saved leading to the place where Israel as a whole will call on the Lord. But Israel as a whole is not going to call on the Lord without this growing saved remnant. Boy, I can't believe that that's missed. And that's what we've been a part of for 50 years. Hard to believe. Half a century. All right. Keep that in mind. We are the saved remnant. So that's number two. Preach the gospel of the kingdom and all the world as a witness. Signs and wonders gospel. And then provoke Israel to jealousy. Number two. Two big tasks that move history to the climax of the coming of the Lord and the redemption of the whole world. But then Yeshua prays something else that we are to pursue. We are to pursue unity. So turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'd love to. But he says in verse 20, I pray not behalf of these only, that is the apostles and his immediate followers, but also for those who believe in me, through their message. In other words, these are the ones that are going to come to the Lord through the progress of preaching the good news. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so they may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Yeshua has in mind here the promise of the prophets of the redemption of the whole world. And he says the redemption of the whole world is not going to take place until his believers become one. As he and the Father are one. So we must have a quest for unity to pray together, to be accountable together, to have cooperative unity for the gospel wherever we are together as believers in any particular region or county or city. But we must become one, cooperative unity. Therefore, unity is connected to effectiveness in preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the nations, and unity is connected to being effective in making Israel jealous. They're all tied together. Then in Acts chapter 2, 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one either, but it's very important. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the outpouring of the Spirit on the Feast of Shavuot. In Acts chapter 1, Yeshua said, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the Tikkun Global, (coughs) which Asher now leads, I turned it over to Asher a couple of years ago, Asher and Trader. Our vision statement is from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and back again. Because it's going to come back to Israel again. And I can tell you about prophetic movements from China and the South Pacific that are amazing about them hearing from God that the gospel is going to return to Israel and it's going to end up where it began. But this idea of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then Peter says, this is that which was spoken of by Yoel in the last days. See, we've been in the last days since the first century, but then there's the last of the last days. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. And so I'm older, so now I get to do the dreams. Now, you see, my wife, she got the dreams when she was younger, but it says old men, not old women. So she got them when she was younger, but now I'm old enough to get them. Your old men will dream dreams. Now, what this text means is that Holy Spirit presence and power is necessary to be able to fulfill the task of preaching the gospel of the kingdom in Jerusalem, we can say the real Jerusalem, in our Jerusalem where we live, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we must have Holy Spirit presence and power. And people have interpreted Acts chapter 2 as an installment that this is going to lead to continual revivals throughout history to further the gospel, and so it has been, and that there's going to be a great revival at the end. And that seems to be the indication when you read the text from Joel, Yoel, in context, it seems to be saying that this great outpouring will come just before the day of God's final judgment where he pours out his wrath and judgment. They come together. So therefore, we are revivalists. And you say, well, Dan, is this something you just came up with? And the answer is yes and no. Uh, I came up with it because during a devotional time over 40 years ago, the Lord downloaded it to me. But I hadn't been taught it before. But I found it was indeed discovered in the history of the church. And there were different mighty, great men and women of God who saw this thing just like I'm saying it. The greatest that I know of was Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf of Hernhut. How many have heard of him? Okay, raise your hand up. Oh my Lord, you've got to study this guy. Write his name down. Look it up on your search engine. Ludwig von Zinzendorf who founded the Hernhut community in Germany got all of this he got this thing. They called it the four pillars. There were Lutheran pietists that got this in the 1700s. And um, 
he was so passionate about the whole thing that he started a prayer meeting of 24-7, long before Kansas City and International House of Prayer, 24-7 prayer for world missions, and he launched Protestant world missions. Before that, there was hardly any Protestant world missions. He was the guy that influenced John Wesley and the Methodists that became the great world missions movement, and they received this teaching from Zinzendorf that you were going to have these four pillars. And Zinzendorf was not only passionate about world missions, he was passionate about revival, he was passionate about unity, and he was passionate about the Jewish people, our people. And I couldn't believe it when this was discovered by friends of Tor Jerusalem Council 2 in Austria when I was at a conference who had done the research and they actually had etchings because the Moravians, they were called the Moravian Movement, they planted the first Messianic Jewish congregation since the early 70s in 1740 in Amsterdam. And they had pictures of it with rabbis, marriage under a chuppah, I mean, you would not believe. They saw the whole thing. That's why I say, in terms of the grandness of his vision and teaching, that Zinzendorf was the greatest figure in Protestant church history. And many of you haven't ever heard of him. But he anticipated everything I'm teaching today. He taught it. One more text. Ephesians chapter 4. And this is, this is what I call our distinctive theology in Tikkun. This is what we in the Tikkun Network uh, believe. And we're pressing for everybody to believe this. And it's growing. I sat with the leaders of the World Evangelical Alliance last spring. They came to Jerusalem to have their meeting. And they get most of this. They've got to be stronger on the Israel part. But they get this. And they are seeking John 17 unity on a worldwide basis. It's just amazing to sit with these guys. Overseeing, you know, networking 600 million people, 400 million charismatic Pentecostals. So listen what it says here. He gave some to be, verse 11, apostles, some prophets, some as proclaimers of the good news, and some as shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints, or holy ones, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of the Messiah. This will continue until we come to unity. John 17. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. Well, this is what I added. I added a fifth to Zinzenzor's four tasks. I just shared with you the four tasks, and that is there has to be a leadership in the last days that embrace this whole thing and are leading us toward the fulfillment of it. Now, I want to say two things. Um, that I've been studying lately in terms of extending this, I want to come back to the first and the second. That if we want to see the redemption of the whole world and we want to see Yeshua return, the key is we have to become evangelistically capable as a people. And we can't be evangelistically capable as a people unless we enter into more power of the Holy Spirit. We need to seek it. We need to pray for it. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to give ourselves to receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
because I am finding all over the world, and it's been a wonderful thing for me to travel the world, to be in China, to be in Korea, to be in Japan, to be in South America. Messianic Judaism has taken me around the world. And to see these extraordinary levels of growth that are taking place in the majority world. Much more than in America. And to see that people are hearing the message of God from people that are going out to share and God leads them to people and gives them prophetic words for things that they could know nothing about and the people, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, but they're not within the meeting, fall down and say, wow, how would you know that? Or you hear that somebody has a particular ailment, a cancer or a knee problem or something else and you ask if you can pray for them and they say yes and they're healed. And they accept Yeshua on the spot. This is happening all over the world. Wow. These signs shall follow them that believe. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. What Yeshua taught and what Yeshua assigned his disciples, he assigns to us. We need to seek him for greater power. But I want to make a point about making Israel jealous. The Messianic Jewish task, the task of the Messianic Jewish congregation is the focus on making Israel jealous, is the focus on magnifying the ministry if I may provoke to jealousy some of of those of my flesh and save some of them. I know by our sheer numbers in the Messianic Jewish movement that we are not seeing as many Jews come to faith as the whole church is. Why? Because of their numbers. They know, you know, Manny Brotman used to say, one of the founders of our movement, the the church is going to win more people to, uh, more Jewish people than us because they know more Jewish people than us because of their sheer numbers. Our job with those people that are coming to the Lord is to connect to those churches and to encourage those Jewish people to not give up their Jewish life and identity. But we should be the most effective per capita in winning Jewish people to the Lord. We should be a a model. The Messianic Jewish congregation, I'm going to say it again, should be the most effective per capita per our numbers in winning Jewish people to the Lord and a model for the whole church. And you know what? Today, in America, we're not. 35 years ago, we were. But today, we're not. We're winning a lot of Gentile people, a lot of Gentiles to enjoy and love Jewish things. But are we equipping our Gentile members to partner with us Jewish members for the evangelistic task and to be equipped and to share this task so that we can be the most effective people in winning Jewish people to the Lord. And we, it begins with getting the burden. I found that Messianic Jewish congregations get off track and they have a wrong... Um, a wrong hierarchy of values and what is important and what is not important unless they get the burden that 
the Apostle Paul had when he said, I tell the truth in the Messiah, I do not lie, my conscience assuring me in the Ruach HaKodesh that my sorrow is great and the anguish of my heart unending, for I pray that I myself were cursed, banished from Messiah for the sake of my people. And then he details the gifts and, and, and uh, benefits that were given to the Jewish people that still continue. Do we have that kind of burden? Is the focus of our Messianic Judaism the sharing of the burden of Rav Shaul? And if so, have we been equipped by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective in developing relations with Jewish people so that we can be an instrument of them seeing the presence and power of God through our lives? That's the question, isn't it? And you know, I'm really optimistic because this is what I see happening. This is becoming a very central uh, pursuit in the tikkun networks in Israel and in America to see a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us. And it begins with us so that we can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to our people with signs following. Yes, gospel of the kingdom in all the nations. Yes, unity. Yes, revival. Yes, a leadership that will be leading the body of believers to complete the tasks. But for us, our task is provoking our people to jealousy and expanding the saved remnant of Israel. Our part in moving history to the second coming of the Lord and the fulfillment of the grand vision of Isaiah chapter 2 and 11. So I want to I go to prayer right now. And I want to pray for you. And I want to ask the Lord, maybe we can just all stand up. This is what we're about. Hallelujah. Father, we're asking for two things today from you. If we could agree on this, that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us anew. Empower us anew with faith and the fact that we walk in the prophetic, that the prophetic is for all of your people. The spirit of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. And we can hear your voice and walk in hearing that voice leading us every day. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit and give us the burden that the apostle Rav Shaul had for his people. Transfer that burden to us so that we might moan and intercede and care about the desperate need of our people to be saved. Hallelujah. Let's just cry out to the Lord. Pray where you are. If you pray in the Spirit or if you pray quietly, but pray, seek the Lord right now for these couple of minutes to be filled, to be empowered, to receive this burden in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, 
Fill us with your power. And you can play some background if you'd like. Fill us, O Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come in power. Come in grace. Transform us, Lord, with your power. Let us to see what we can be and do is so far beyond what we've seen, so far beyond what we can ask, what you really can do and want to do through us is so much more than we have imagined. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, in power, in grace, in Yeshua's name. Yes, Lord. Bless your people with your presence. Heal the sick among us, Lord. Come now in mighty power to heal any that is sick. If you're struggling with some physical issue, just stretch out your hand to the Lord. Let's believe, God, bring your spiritual healing and physical healing to your people right now. Any who have physical problems, Lord, bring healing to them right now. In the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. More, Lord. Heal, Lord. Encourage. Encourage and heal in Yeshua's name. Just give a few minutes to the Lord to just move among us, to speak to us, prophetically to speak to us, to heal us, to fill us. Fill us anew, Lord. Encourage us. Yeshua's name. Give us your joy. Give us your joy, Lord. Joy unspeakable. That we have everlasting life, Lord. Fill us with your joy. Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. Yeshua, amen. And look, if this message has really touched you today, spend some time seeking the Lord today for a new filling of the Holy Spirit, for a restoration and renewal in your hearts. We've been through a lot with this COVID thing and the political things, and there's a lot of depression. Let's look to the Lord and be filled so that we can rejoice in Him and go forth with real power in the Holy Spirit. Spend some time with him today and and, uh, seek him. Amen. David.